Father, thank you so much for these ladies here, here seated this morning uh, and ready to dive into your word. And God, I just ask that you would um, help us to be focused on what your spirit wants to teach us. Help us have hearts that are open to you so that you can write your word on them. And Lord, that we would just um, fall more and more in love with you as we learn more and more of the love that you have for us. Thank you for Randy. And I ask God that you would... um, just protect her and the little baby inside of her as um, she goes through these next few weeks of this pregnancy. I pray that you would just help her to um, really stay focused this morning on what it is you want to teach all of us through her. And thank you, Lord, for her diligence and, um, Lord, how she has just entered into your presence so that she can um, you can give her what it is you want her to give to us this morning. And we just thank you for her and her service. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, hi, guys. Um, I'm Randy. And, I mean, as Carol would say, I am 33 weeks pregnant. And I actually, this week, just got put on modified bed rest. So the tigger in me wants to, like, be jumping around this stage. But for the little one, I'm going to try and stay stay put. Um, so it's not normally me to, to sit, but today it's going to have to be, right? Um, all right, y'all. Well, this weekend, did anybody else in here either go to the IF conference or do the live stream of the IF conference? Anybody? A few? Okay, well, if you have never heard of IF before, it is this awesome Christian conference. It happens in Austin, but then it's live streamed all over the country. And I think they said like 60 countries around the world um, partake in this. So I was just part of this little gathering in Richardson. And so it's just these really spectacular speakers that kind of just pour in and, and push truth. And it's amazing. And so I feel this weekend, like I just got spoiled with Jesus Right, just one of those times where I was just reminded that if I really know who Jesus is, if I really love him, then it should change everything about me. It should change every relationship I have. It should change every plan that I make, every view of the world, every decision to love. Because of Jesus, there should be nothing that is unchanged in me. And over the weekend, I was just broken too over our hurting world. I don't know if y'all know this, but there are 2.8 billion people in this world that have never heard about Jesus. Let that soak in. 2.8 billion people have never heard the name of Jesus. I can't even imagine that. I can't imagine living here in Dallas, Texas. We're so spoiled, right? And never have even heard about Jesus. And there are 2.8 billion of them out there. And so just that, and, and it breaks my heart, and it, can, it totally convicts me, right? But then it motivates me, and it wants me to go to and disciple all nations and tell them about Jesus. And y'all, this weekend, it also reminded me of the incredible privilege that I have been entrusted with in getting to teach all of you. Never in a million years would I have thought that God would have used me for this purpose. And yet, In that, it humbly reminds me that this has never been about me, right? That this has always been about God and his word and his glory and his spirit. And he just asks for my obedience. So please know that I consider it a huge blessing to get to shepherd your hearts towards Christ. 
Okay, but y'all, I am so pumped to share with y'all what God has taught me in this section of scripture because it is a treasure trove of truth. It is so good. Well, if you were here last week, I don't know about y'all, but I thought Alicia just hit it out of the park when she taught about all the covenants. I mean, I learned so much. But then I was like, oh God, thank you so much that you gave her to teach that and you did not give me to teach that. He is sovereign. Uh, (laughs) Okay, but we have seen, as we've been walking through Exodus and last week, we have seen how God gave his people the moral law and the 10 commandments. And we saw how he gave them the civil law. And next week he's going to give them the ceremonial law. But where we are interjected today in Exodus 23 and 24 is just in the middle of this law giving time. And so now some of y'all, my type A sisters, raise your hand if you think you're like a type A person. Oh my, a lot of you. Okay. Well, I would think, because I'm not really in your camp. Um, (laughs) That this whole, how detailed God got in how to love him and how to love others, man, that probably just fills your cup. You're probably like, check, all right, I'll do it. Check, 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 and that delights you. Well, some of my other free-spirited sisters will call you, the long list of the law can seem just kind of overwhelming. Well, as an adult and as a walking believer, now that I know the purpose of it, Man, I'm all about it. I'm like, God, you tell me how to live a holy life and I will do it. But before I really was walking with Jesus, right, when I read about this, well, let's be honest, I didn't read it. Um, when somebody told me about this, um, it didn't just overwhelm me, it scared me, right? I was just certain that God was a fun hater and that he was trying to rip me off with all of these rules, And if I was an Israelite back then, I would have been like, whoa, God, how do you expect me to follow all these rules, let alone remember them? And not to mention God, a couple chapters ago, appearing on the top of a mountain as a fire, smoke everywhere, earthquakes, thunder, lightning, trumpets blaring. Let's not tone this down, ladies. That would have been terrifying. Okay, and right, as it should have been. God was setting himself apart as holy. But if I didn't understand that, I would have been like, whoa, this following God thing is just a little too much for me. And I have a feeling that our flip-flopping, say one thing, do another, wish they were back in Egypt, complaining little Israelites, might have had similar feelings. And so I love how God meets them right there. And that's where our story picks up today. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can open up to Exodus chapter 23, verse 20, is where we dive in. All right, well, the very first verse that we get to read today is verse 20. God says, See, I'm sending an angel ahead of you to guard you along the way and to bring you to the place I have prepared. Well, God has given his people an angel to lead them and guide them along in the way. He never expected them to figure out this holy living, following God thing without his divine help. And so God gives them an angel. 
Well, it's widely accepted by theologians and scholars, people much smarter than me, that this angel was in fact Jesus. And if you guys did your Bible study this week on like the side margin, it said that this sort of thing is called a theopony. Say that, you're going to sound really smart. Um, and a theopony, as it is written, is a manifestation of God that is perceivable to human senses. So for my wordies out there that love the breakdown of things, Sue, um, the Greek breakdown of this is that theos means God and phanin means to show. So literally a theopony means to show God. And God was showing himself to his people in a picture of Jesus. I love it. Okay, but this was not the first time in Exodus that we have seen God give an angel to his people to guide them and guard them. If we backtrack a little to Exodus 14, verse 19, it says that the angel of God who had been traveling in front of Israel's army withdrew and went behind them. Okay, well, to remind you guys, this is right as Pharaoh's army is pursuing the Israelites. He's right on them and they are reaching the edge of the Red Sea. Do y'all remember that? And then God parts the Red Sea. Okay, so at this point, the angel that God had sent that was guiding them, he went behind them to guard them so that God could make this passage of rescue. And we just said back then, man, what a picture of God's rescue plan. And so I love that here in Exodus 23, God gives them an angel again. And he tells his people to follow this angel, to pay attention to him, to listen to what he says, to do every bit of it. And then God would show them where he was going to take them and he would be an enemy to their enemies. Mm, But I love how Jesus truly is the visible image of the invisible God. Just as we see him in the New Testament, God was just giving his people a picture of that in the Old Testament. He was setting it up. Right, And we know that Jesus came to show us what it really looked like to love God and to love others. He shows us the way and he just asks us to follow him. And that is exactly what God is telling his people here. Follow him to the place I have prepared for you, Israelites. He is the ultimate rescue plan. Follow him. Okay, but the more I hung out in Exodus and I thought about Jesus and And following him, I couldn't help but see this foreshadowing of the role of the Holy Spirit in us believers today. And so in John 14, verses 15 through 18, it'll be up there, but you can look it up in your Bible if you prefer, because it's so good. Verses 15 through 18, and then verse 26, it says, If you love me, Jesus is saying this, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither knows him, because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And God has given us his word to show us his character and how to love him and follow him. But he has so graciously given us his spirit to guide us in it. Man, how good is God to do that? 
So hear this, y'all. My first treasure truth I'm going to share with y'all today is God does not expect you to do this life alone. And that's a treasure. God does not expect you to do this life alone. He gave his people an angel to show them how to walk through this messy, broken world. And he gave us his spirit to show us how to walk through this messy, broken world. He does not expect you to do this alone. He didn't just tell you how to live and then leave you there. He walks every step of it. And as a believer, you have the Holy Spirit to guide you in it. All right. So with that, we are back in Exodus 23. He's given them the angel. And then God tells his people exactly how he's going to take down their enemies. However, the super cool part about this, and I know if you did your homework, you're like, yeah, I I got this part right? That God doesn't just say, I'm going to send my terror ahead of you and I'm going to wipe out all your enemies. And then you're just going to dance into the promised land, right? God could have done that, right? I hope if you have learned nothing else about the character of God through this study of Exodus is that he is powerful. I mean, there ain't nothing our God can't do, right? He could have, but he didn't. So if you look in verse 30 in your Bibles, and this is like, I'm, I'm a highlighter. I mean, like my Bible, literally the whole thing is like underlined and highlighted. Like, I don't even know what's important anymore because it's all important. Um, but in verse 30, okay, I want you to highlight the three words, little by little. God says, little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. So how is God going to accomplish his task? Little by little. See all the second treasure truth I have to share with you is that God is always on time. He's always on time. He is never late. He's never too slow or too fast. His timing is perfect. Y'all, his seat in heaven gives him a perspective that we can't even fathom. He is the alpha and the omega. Y'all, that means he sees from the beginning to the end. He never sleeps. He sees it all. Y'all, God's constant vision is our constant provision. God's constant vision is our constant provision. He sees so far beyond what we can see and he knows what's best for our good and his glory. And I know that you guys know that, but you need to really know that. And in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 through 18, it says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly, we are wasting away. Some of y'all feel that way today. Yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So some of you might be feeling today like God's moving a little too slow. This little by little plan that he has going on is not your plan at all. But I want you to hear God's voice telling you, don't lose heart, my daughter. 
I'm working at just the right pace. I know best. I'm never late. Fix your eyes on me and trust me. Y'all, God is always on time. He might be working little by little, but he knows what he's doing. He's always on time. All right. So right after God tells his people in Exodus 23 how he's going to drive out their enemies, he cautions his people again in verse 33. Well, in verse 33, it says, Do not let them live in your land, or they will cause you to sin against me, because the worship of their gods will certainly be a snare to you. Okay, who happened to be at Watermark on Sunday, this past Sunday? And heard Todd preach about resolving to be the parents that God intended us to be. Right. It was on point. And I only have a five-year-old. Okay. So I can only imagine those with, with grown kiddos. If you weren't there, you totally need to listen to it. Because it was, it was phenomenal. But one of the points that he drove home was that who you hang out with matters. It matters a lot. And he's telling his people back then. As my grandma used to always say, she goes, oh, sugar, show me your friends and I'll tell you who you are. And there were a lot of times I was like, I'm not showing you my friends, grandma. <laughs> um, or maybe we should actually listen to what the Bible says. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, it says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And God's saying, draw the line here, Israelites. Don't let their bad character corrupt what I'm trying to show you here. Because we know, y'all, Romans 12, 2 says, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world. We are called to be in this world, right? You are here. You have not been called home yet. But you are not called to be of this world. The enemy wants you to look like everybody else. But the third treasure truth is that God made you to look different. You know, that was the entire purpose of God giving this law to the Israelites. He was showing them how to be set apart, how to be holy. He was saying, I made you to be different. Be different. So to be reminded, y'all, to love others, to really love others, does not mean the acceptance of sin. We should hate sin, just like God does. And we should radically love sinners, just like God does. You should look so different. We should look so different than the world that we live in right now. This is not our home. All right, so that brings us to Exodus 24, where, y'all, Exodus 24, this is big. Like, this is the treasure of today, is when we dive into Exodus 24. Because the confirmation of the Mosaic Covenant, we'll get there, from last week, is the key to the remainder of Exodus. This is our bridge. So everything that Alicia taught us last week matters right here and is going to matter for the rest of our study of Exodus. Because we know, y'all, God has been walking with his people since Adam and Eve in the garden. 
But after this week, he's actually going to dwell with his people. Because of a covenant that is confirmed in our lesson today. This is a game changer. He's going to go from walking with them to dwelling with them because of a covenant. All right, so the Mosaic Covenant, maybe some of you guys weren't here last week or you don't totally understand all of it, which is completely fine, right? So just as a reminder, the Mosaic Covenant is summed up in Exodus 19.5. God just says, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, right, that's the Ten Commandments, civil law, all these things he's been showing them, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Okay, so that's the Mosaic Covenant. You got it. Well, first, just to clarify, what is a covenant? We should probably start there. And a covenant in its simplest form is a binding contract. An agreement, a pledge, a promise, or a bond. Well, the best way that my simple mind can understand this type of covenant is through the covenant of marriage. When I shared with you guys months ago, uh, when I taught that I come from a family of, there's five kids, and my parents, um, who are alcoholics, have been married for 37 years. Or if I really said They've probably been not divorced for 37 years, if I was being, being honest. And although as an adult and as a married woman, I greatly admire their commitment to marriage. Because they didn't give up. Right? I admire that. But there were so many times as a little girl that I would just pray and pray to a God that I didn't know that they would just get a divorce so that all the pain would stop. So as many little girls grow up dreaming about their wedding days, I grew up believing I never wanted to get married. Because if that's what it looks like, I was not going to be a part of it. I didn't know God's love, so I couldn't possibly fathom an earthly love. Well, even after I accepted Christ when I was 16 at Young Life Camp, I still thought marriage was for the birds. It wasn't even on my radar Right, like I had fallen in love with Jesus and I was all about falling in love with him. But I was just learning what it looks like to follow him and to live with him and to be in a relationship with him. So marriage, it was still like, well, that is never gonna happen for me. But then as God would have it, I met my Matt at the end of my sophomore year in college. And he was unlike anyone I'd ever met. He loved God more than anyone. And so, of course, I started thinking about marriage, right, as we started dating and were friends and then fell in love over the next two years. I was like, okay, maybe I should think about this marriage thing. But I realized that I was bringing a bag of rocks to the table, Right, because I didn't know a single thing about what a godly marriage looks like. Nothing. Whereas Matt came with a treasure chest full, right, of knowing God's word and seeing his parents live it out and love it out. And I really, I couldn't believe that he wanted to marry a girl like me. 
So before we were ever engaged or even talking about it, I was like, I need to learn everything that God has to teach me about being married because I don't want to do it the worldly way, right? I want to do it God's way, but I just need to learn what that even looks like. And so before we were engaged, we went to pre-engagement counseling because who even knew that existed? Watermark has it. Um, of course they do, right? And um, so we, we dug in and we were learning what a godly marriage looked like. And I soaked up every little bit as it was taught to me that marriage was so much more than a contract made between two people. It was a holy covenant between a man, a woman, and God. It was two sinful people mm-hmm, saying we are all in for loving us, for loving each other like Christ loves us. And as I was sweetly told, a promise or a covenant is a promise on steroids. I was like, oh yeah, right? And God is so good to outline for us in his word, his heart for marriage and what he created it for. He's not shy in telling us, y'all. If you have hung out in your Bible, man, it is just full of truth about what God intends marriage to look like. And I, I don't know, some of you might have read the book, um, Sacred Marriage, or there's a whole series of sacred things by Gary Thomas, but he kind of famously sums up marriage. And he says, the purpose of marriage is not to make us happy, but to make us holy. Well, my married sisters, can I get an amen? Right. The purpose of marriage is to make us holy. The God's purpose of that covenant is our holiness. So although after all of this, this training and being in God's word, Matt and I knew what God required to partake in this covenant of marriage, right? We couldn't enter into this covenant until Matt proposed and I accepted. Well, and then on a day of great celebration, almost nine years ago, we pledged in front of all our family and friends that we were devoted to God's covenant of marriage. We were pledging our lives not just to each other, but to God's plan for marriage. Okay, so here we are in Exodus. Exodus 24. God has just laid out his 10 commandments in the civil law. He's made it very clear what it looks like to live a holy, set-apart life for him. In the Mosaic Covenant, you guys remember, God extended a promise a pledge to his people. He's saying, if you follow me, then you will be my treasured possession. Well, so just as Matt proposed this covenant of marriage to me, God extends an invitation to a covenant with his people. Okay, but when does a covenant become confirmed or the fancy word that was in your Bible study is ratified? A covenant becomes confirmed or ratified when it is accepted, when the people accept it. So we see in Exodus 24, verse 3, the people respond. When Moses went and told the people all the, Lord, all the words and laws, they responded with one voice. Everything the Lord has said, we will do. Well, in that, the people were accepting God's proposal. They were saying, yeah, we want to make this covenant with you. 
at that moment, and we know these Israelites, they have been doubters, right? They have been shady. But at this moment, there is clarity. They are saying, yes, we understand it and we want to make this covenant with you. And I love it. I love thinking about it, y'all, because the perfect God, the most holy set apart God wanted to enter into a covenant forever relationship with a sinful, disobedient people. Y'all, that's treasure and rocks. What a deep love. What an unfathomable love. Well, at that, after they accepted this proposal, right, the Israelites to enter into this covenant with God, they're going to have a celebration to make it official that the Mosaic covenant that they were in. So where we read in Exodus 24, it says that Moses set up an altar at the foot of Mount Sinai. Because y'all remember, the people couldn't go up the mountain, right? God said, if you do that, you'll die. So glad they didn't. They stayed at the foot of the mountain to have this little celebration. And it says that Moses surrounded the altar with 12 pillars to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, so you're like, I don't, some of you might be like, I don't know what a tribe of Israel is yet. And we're actually, you'll get there. You'll understand it a lot better. But right now, all you need to know is that every Israelite, God is going to put in, let's just say, a special grouping of people. And there's going to be 12 of them. So all this represents is imagine an altar and then all the people are surrounding it, right? Because it's a covenant between God and his people. So I'm glad they showed up um, to their wedding or their little ceremony. All right, so on that altar, they sacrificed young bulls to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and he sprinkled it on the altar. Then after reading to the people one more, the book, one more time, the book of the covenant, he wanted to make sure they really understood what they were entering into. And they reaffirmed their commitment to obey everything in it. Moses sprinkled blood on the book and then on them. Y'all, in verse 8 in your Bible, in Exodus 24, highlight it. Blood of the covenant. Blood of the covenant. This is huge. That this covenant would be ratified by blood. And I want you to open up in your Bibles to Hebrews 9. All right, we're going to read Hebrews 9, verses 18 through 22. And I encourage you guys, after this semester of study in Exodus, go and read Hebrews, and it's going to make so much more sense to you. Okay, but in Hebrews 9, verses 18 through 22, it says, This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. When Moses had proclaimed, Every commandment of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop and sprinkled the scroll in all the people. He said, this is the blood of the covenant, which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood, both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Without 
the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So every part of this confirmation of the Mosaic or old covenant is going to point to the new covenant that Jesus extends to us. So the gospel in its purest form is a message of a covenant relationship that we can enter into with God. It's a marriage covenant. Because all over scripture, God tells us that the church is the bride of Christ. And that one day, in all its glory and splendor, there is going to be a marriage of the lamb and his bride. In Isaiah 54, 5, it says that your maker is your husband. Jesus proposes to you. He extends his invitation to all people, right? But the creator of the universe got down on one knee and asks you, will you be mine forever? So if you're feeling lonely this Valentine's Day, think about that. The creator of the universe wants you to be his forever. But in order to enter into this covenant relationship, this treasure, his blood had to be shed. And y'all, the only thing I can think of what keeps just running through my, my mind every time that I was prepping for this is the song. What can take away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Right? And we have to accept the invitation. It's not just enough that he has proposed it and that we understand it. We have to accept it. There has to be a day. There has to be a decisive moment in your life when you say, just like the Israelites, I'm all in. And so my fourth treasure truth for you guys today is God wants us to accept his proposal to enter into a covenant relationship with him. And he wants us to confirm our covenant with him. He wants us to accept it and he wants us to confirm it. Romans 10 verses 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. So God, I understand the terms of this covenant, and I will obey everything in it. But y'all, this new covenant that we are invited to enter into by the blood of Jesus does not require our obedience to the law. Thank the Lord, right? It does not require sacrificial offerings. It only requires that we trust completely in the death and resurrection of Jesus. So my question to you guys is, have you proclaimed to the world that you trust completely in the blood of Jesus? Not Jesus plus something else, but Jesus. 
right? Because if you haven't, maybe you've accepted it, right? Start, start there. Make sure that you've accepted his proposal. And then think about, have you confirmed it to the world? Because you should do that. Sisters, make it FBO. Anybody? Facebook official. Right? Like it's not real unless it's on Facebook. Um, no, but really, in a practical sense, some of you are like, I don't, I don't know if I've confirmed it publicly. Well, one way, a really great way to do this is to get baptized. All right? And I love, if you have hung out with Watermark, for any amount of time, every spring, they throw this huge baptism um, celebration. And we won't go into detail, y'all, but baptism is not necessary for salvation. It's not like Jesus plus baptism, and then you get eternal life. It's Jesus, right? But baptism is just this outward confession of an inward conversion. It just gives you an opportunity to stand up in front of family and friends and to say, I am all in. I trust completely in the blood of Jesus. I am confirming my covenant with him. And then you celebrate. And it is awesome. And so if you haven't done that, do it. Because it's worth it. Okay, and I, I love, okay, that after they have confirmed this covenant, right, the ceremony, then they get to see a little glimpse of God's glory. And so that's where we pick up in Exodus 24, verse 9. It says that Moses... Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up a little higher up the mountain and they saw the God of Israel. We don't know how much of God's glory they got to see that day, but I can imagine even if it was just a tiny little glimpse into the heavenly realms. Just imagine God sitting on his throne in complete authority with pavements of sapphire, the king of heaven and earth. Well, in Ezekiel 1, verses 26 through 28, Ezekiel, okay, Ezekiel gets to see the glory of God in a really cool way. And he says, Above the expanse over their heads was what looked like a throne of sapphire. And high above on the throne was a figure like that of a man. I saw from what appeared to be his waist up looks like glowing metal as if full of fire and that from there down he looked like fire and brilliant light surrounded him like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day. So was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell face down and I heard the voice of the one speaking. You guys, imagine that. What a, what a word picture that God gave us here. Just a little glimpse into his glory. And I know you guys know the song from like 1990, but, um, you know, I can only imagine what it'll be like when I find myself standing in his sight. I can only imagine. And I hope when God gives us glimpses of his glory, that our only response is to just fall face down. I love that. That's what Ezekiel did. I hope that's what we would do. 
And, and I love that right after God gives them this little glimpse into his glory, um, you guys know how Sue claims to be God's party girl. Okay, well, as I was prepping for this, she was like, well, Randy, don't forget that after they saw God's glory, they ate and drank. Like, they had a party. And I was like, well, of course you would pick that up. Um, thank you. Uh, talk about a wedding reception. But I do think about you guys. In Luke 15, it says that there is rejoicing in heaven when one sinner repents. And, and I, one of my favorite parts about Young Life Camp, because I been a Young Life leader for a long time, is that at Young Life Camp, we have this tradition kind of that if someone accepts Christ, well, at least I embarrassingly make them come back into the cabin, and I'm like, hey, do you have something you want to tell everybody? And they're like, oh, I just accepted Jesus. And then, I mean, we pull out the streamers and the blow poppers and the candy, and in the most simple form, we celebrate. Because who was lost is now found. And that is just a sliver of a picture of the celebrations that go on in heaven. The party that happens when we accept the covenant with Jesus. Man, God just delights in it. Okay, so at the very end of Exodus 24, Moses is called higher up the mountain to a deeper, more intimate place with God. How lucky is he, right? And the Israelites from the bottom of the mountain said that the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire. So that's our fifth treasure truth. As it is said in Hebrews 12, 29, God is a consuming fire. Well, Ladies, think about that. What does that really mean, that he is our all-consuming fire? What is the nature of fire? Well, if a fire is not put out, it touches and changes everything it comes in contact with. Its nature is that it consumes everything in its path. And I love that we get to end today on this, because that really is the very nature of our God and what God wants to do through us. Man, He wants to consume every bit of our hearts. He wants to leave no part of us unchanged. And that when we enter into this covenant relationship with Him by the blood of Jesus and we see His glory, that we would literally be on fire for Him that we would be consumed by his great love for us. That that 2.8 billion people that have never heard the name of Jesus, man, we would make a dent in that because we would want everyone to know the God that we know. And then as is the nature of fire, that God's fire in us would absolutely leave nothing unchanged and it would change everything that we come in contact with. So sweet friends, let's be women that lets God's fire consume us and rage through us. Man, our God is awesome. He is so good and he is so worth following. And the covenant that we make with him, it changes us today. It changes us for tomorrow. It changes us for all eternity. 
Okay, I hope your time in small groups is so sweet and so good. So let me pray, and then you guys can head there. Uh, Sweet Jesus, thank you that your blood alone saves us. Thank you that you are so good, and you are so gracious, and you are just so glory-filled, Lord. And I thank you for um, my time with these sweet friends, Lord. I pray that your word would resonate in their hearts, Lord. I pray that you would be all of our consuming fire, Lord, that you would change every bit of us and that you would use us um, to change this world around us. So God, we love you and it's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.